up on Dayquil, Vitamin C, Zycam, oh, and my honey citrus mint tea. <laughs> I'm just, whatever's in my system right now clogging me up, I'm, it's going to be an all-out assault this morning. So That sounds incredible. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't sound like myself, but I'm here. Uh, and you're here. I'm here. So I'm just kind of hopped up on the first few sips of coffee. Good. So it's going to be a slow arrival into the morning. We're getting there. This is perfect. Um, but let's not mess around. Uh, you are listening to the Odyssey of Learning podcast. My name is Hunter. And I'm Courtney. And we're excited that you are here with us today because we are going to be talking about something that we are really excited about, especially coming into our second year here at Odyssey, and that is the mentorship program. And yes, we use the word mentorship and not internship, though there are some similarities. But I think just for the sake of understanding what it is that we do, it's more convenient to use the word mentor instead of intern. And I think it's a bit more reflective of the role that our scholars play when they're out in the field. Um, you know, an intern kind of has this connotation of unpaid grunt work where you're like just getting exposed to like the bottom of the barrel you know supporting someone else's work without really learning from them so much whereas with a mentor you're kind of taken under a professional's wings and given so much context and background information to build up a really complex understanding of what it is they do and to provide like you know your insights as a mentee to support them in their work as much as they're supporting you in your learning. And it's such a big part of what our school is all about. Not only helping scholars become college ready, but especially career ready. Because if you think about the traditional high school model, very rarely are you given an opportunity within school to really build up a resume that's full of workable 21st century skills um, that you can carry with you to a career. Um, that's not to say that those can't be picked up in a traditional model, but very rarely do we carve out space like we do at Odyssey uh, for a program like this. So we are partnered with Big Picture Learning and uh, everything that we do in, as it relates to advisory and the mentorship program are notes that we take from them. Uh, giving scholars opportunity, working with our local communities to make this whole thing possible. Um, so let's kind of just start with the bare bones about mentorships. Uh, Courtney, you were doing a pretty solid job bringing a lead in, but maybe the better question to ask is why? Why, other than picking up these skills, why do it this way? What's the advantage? I think that there are a few advantages. And, you know, primarily for me, when I think of the power of mentorships, I land on this concept of community. And when a school is engaged with its community, the school is able to share its resources out as well as pull resources in. So every neighborhood around the world has a school somewhere near it or in it. And to leverage the resources that exist in that community to support learning in the school 
is kind of the big idea behind mentorships that, you know, an individual scholar's learning would be immensely enhanced by adding other adults and other mentors into their lives to show them kind of life outside of school. And as you mentioned, to give them uh, access to learning some of the 21st century skills that are difficult to explicitly teach in the context of a classroom. Um, but additionally, to build on this idea of creating a more rich and more engaged community around the school and to give our scholars a connection to their community for when they graduate, you know, to give them that foot in the door at Lakewood City Hall or to give them, uh, you know, a flash uh, in someone's memory from the Paramount Publishing Company. It just gives them that professional connection that allows them to kind of hit the ground running when they leave high school or college and they're searching to give back to their community as an employee. And there's so many great stories I feel from my scholars anyways in my advisory where we would have a mentor that was hesitant in the sense that they really just didn't understand what the mentorship program was. Like, totally. what? You're sending me this high school kid? What, what, what exactly is this? What's going on? But then very quickly they understand and they realize the power that a program like this can have. Totally. And, you know, last year thinking about when internships, mentorships <laughs> were over, uh, we had an exhibition here at school where scholars set up uh, tables uh, outside to show off their learning from their mentorship program. And just seeing the sheer volume of mentors, not just family and friends of our scholars, but the mentors showing up just to participate uh, in that learning is very, very cool, very powerful. I really enjoyed myself uh, during that exhibition night last year, and I'm looking forward to the same sort of uh, return, if you will, from the program this year. But as you and I both know now, Courtney, this is, uh, this is not an easy feat. This it is, is not an easy feat. This takes some time. This takes a lot of devotion and dedication. So let's just preview with our listeners kind of a quick rundown as to what exactly goes into getting a mentorship. So we do have some partnerships set up. Uh, Keith, our principal, does a great job at going out into the community, working with uh, local hospitals, for example, and, and putting together larger opportunities for our scholars. But for the most part, they, they got to find this work themselves. Uh, totally. Tell us what that is. Uh, that process is like, Courtney. Yeah, you know, the process goes uh, so much deeper than a scholar deciding this is where I want to mentor and I reach out and I make a phone call and I say, hey, I want to be a mentor to you. Right. The first, the very first preliminary step, which, uh, again, we kind of rely on the big picture model to do this, is helping a young person identify what they're interested in. You know, when I was in high school, I have to admit, like, I don't know if I knew how many options of work existed beyond the walls of a classroom. You know, in my mind, it was I could either be a nurse because that's what my mom did. I could work in finance because that's what my dad did. Or I could be a teacher because that's what my teachers did. <laughs> and so to help a young person really kind of change their schema of what they think of as work and change their schema of what they think of as what they need to do with the rest of their life beyond just a potential career, we really want to connect them with people that could mentor them and things they're interested in. And so a huge part of the beginning parts of this process is helping a young person identify, A, what their interests are, what they're passionate about, what they're curious about, 
B, what their potential career interests are, like long-term goals. What is a career that you'd be interested in being placed in? And C, what sorts of skills are you proficient in now? And what sorts of skills do you want to grow in the next six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever their mentorship is going to be? And so once they have an idea of what they're looking for, then we go out into the community and we look at a map and we say, okay, if you're interested in copy editing, for example, or you're interested in learning about communicating with patients in the medical setting, or you're interested in learning how to build a car, like then we take those interests and we help connect them with potential organizations or people or businesses that would be a good match for them. And then we have to go through learning all of the nuanced skills of like, what does it mean to communicate with an adult and to kind of present this program in a way that would be mutually beneficial. Because as you said, there's a ton of confusion around this idea because it doesn't happen very often. So I'm curious, Hunter, in your experience, what sorts of uh, teaching moves have you made to kind of open up the window to communicating with adults and giving our scholars access to that information so that when they make that initial contact, it goes smoothly? It's, I mean, the practice that I really rely upon is something that I use not just for mentorships, but to help scholars understand communication in life in general Mm -hmm. and everything that happens. I'm starting to realize as this conversation is unfolding that we could talk about mentorships for hours on Hours end, and hours. And we don't have that kind of time, nor would we want to get some sort of long-form conversation because that's not how we set this podcast up. But um, I'm thinking maybe this might be a part one on mentorships. Yeah, like maybe the preparation. Maybe in the future we talk about <laughs> freshman uh, preparation and mm. what that looks like for our freshman scholars, how that transitioned to the sophomore year. What does support during the mentorship program look like? What is the administration? uh, What's the administrative side of this look like? Um, But I will answer your question uh, in terms of helping scholars understand this communicative piece with other adults. And really for me, it's just by way of um, leading by example. Um, I have in my class modeled uh, conversations, uh, cold calls. Uh, and what that would sound like, I just literally pick up the phone in my room and uh, put it on speaker so they can hear uh, and then just listen to me having a conversation. Uh, I've also shared with them plenty of uh, stories. One of my favorite being uh, anytime I call customer service. Um, the lesson here being is that anytime you are trying to achieve something, really the first place you have to start is your attitude. Um, and, and that's not necessarily implying that you're coming from a place of negativity, but people respond to the way somebody sounds. When you call someone on the phone, what's absent is the facial recognition. You can't actually see the person you're talking to. Totally. But understanding your tone and your inflection, the certain words that you choose to use in particular situations, mm-hmm. that's immediately going to be setting you up for success and or failure. Um, and the same is true with emails, I think. We, totally. we did a lot of work um, with our scholars last year and continue to do work this year, um, working on email etiquette and how we're presenting ourselves. Uh, you can't be using lowercase i's and lowercase proper nouns just because that's how you text. Uh, email's a totally different game. Uh, and I had actually a couple scholars yesterday where they CC'd me in an email to a potential mentor, but... Uh, it did, it's not that it didn't sound professional. It just was very blunt and very brief. And so I'll be circling back with them later this morning to help them understand 
the kind of message they might have sent with an email like that and maybe some ways in which we can rectify that. Um, so really it's just, it's leading by example for me. That's, that's what I've relied on. I found it to be pretty uh, effective. Do you have other strategies that you rely on to teach those skills? Um, you know, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying about um, just kind of opening up all of the learning moments, like having a scholar listen in on a phone call, or I remember last year printing out emails that I sent, like cold emails that I sent to organizations, and just kind of talking through the nuance of, as you mentioned, like what sort of message that presentation of words or of content in an email might cause for uh, a potential mentor, the person that's receiving it. So I think as much as we can be open with our communication as an example, uh, it's super beneficial. But I also think that a big part of our work here is uh, like direct instruction on how to prepare uh, documents such as a resume or how to prepare uh, a phone call script or informational interview questions. And that process, though direct, is so collaborative and pulling on the knowledge and the resources of every single person in the room and also looking at uh, exemplars across multiple fields. Like I think back to the lesson that we ran yesterday and that we'll run today about building resumes and the work that we're doing to help the scholars identify what was my resume like freshman year and what does it need to be like in sophomore year and how can I kind of make that jump in quality and in professionalism and in experience. And so that's kind of what's been on my mind in terms of like how to best prepare them for their mentorships. I think it's a combination of things of being open and also being uh, explicit in our in our instruction and in our collaborative conversations. Well, let's dive into that. I mean, you brought up resumes. I think that's a, considering the work that we did yesterday, we could talk about that a little bit. Um, I think that's something that we could really take an opportunity this morning to break down the role of resumes and what exactly it is that we instruct our scholars to use them for and how to put them together. So let's flash back. Um, to freshman year where we had a group of scholars that had probably never even crossed their mind to put together a resume let alone maybe not even knowing what a resume was Um, and so we really made our goal uh, with our freshman scholars to help them understand the power that a resume can hold this idea that you are essentially putting together a portfolio of who you are not only as a potential employee, but as a person uh, and, and the immediate first impression that somebody would get for you. Because as we know, in life, um, very rarely are you just immediately called in for an interview. You send in your resume that's reviewed. And if the paperwork looks good, then you get called in and you get that uh, face-to-face opportunity. Uh, and so understanding last year how to really construct these resumes, you touched on it with what you were just talking about. It took a lot of direct instruction. Um, yeah. looking at a document and and informing scholars what each section was all about and the importance, the role that that played in the um, mentorship project. Uh, but it wasn't perfect, especially when it came to sections like experience, because I don't know how many 14-year-old scholars last year I had come up to me saying, Simmons, I've never worked a day in my life. <laughs> what do I do? What do I put here? Uh, did you find you had similar reactions in your class? Definitely, definitely. It's uh, so it was it was kind of amusing because I think that that forced the scholars to think about 
their work, their experiences in a perspective that they hadn't thought about them before. Absolutely. So the example that I fall back on is babysitting, mm -hmm. uh, which is not necessarily something that we've done in our lives in any formal way, but especially if we have family members that just needed us to, to watch after our you know baby cousin or something like that. Um, we don't really think too much about the skills involved. Um, and, and nor would I encourage anyone from just putting babysitting and leaving it at that on their resume. But giving scholars the opportunity to think about, well, what is your actual responsibility? You are, in that instance, responsible for the life of a child, uh, multiple children. And there's a lot that is involved with that in terms of organization and communication, uh, a lot going on there. And so to help them really jumpstart their resumes, um, that's a, a crutch that we relied on just to at least give them the sense of knowing that you have done things in which you had to exhibit responsibility. You had to exhibit leadership uh, in these instances and then getting them to think about how those skills might translate to the professional sphere, a, a potential mentorship uh, that they were working towards building last year. Um, and that, that's what really stands out to me with building the freshman resumes last year was getting the freshmen away from this place of, you know, complete, it was just the complete unknown for them and, yeah. and bringing them into this space where they're starting to learn and starting to understand their role in this process and what they need to do to become successful in that regard. I'm curious if you had any other reflections on resumes from freshman year um, just thinking back to what that process looked like all first trimester, anything similar, anything different? Yeah, you know, when I was looking back over them, uh, the freshman year resumes, as we were kind of building up this curriculum for yesterday and today for the resume revamp, uh, there were three areas where I saw a lot of need. The first area, as you mentioned, was experience. Um, it's important to learn how to articulate one's experience based in skill development more so than like the task itself. Because as you mentioned, babysitting as a task maybe doesn't reflect as much of your personal growth and of your personal skill set so much as like all of the skills and the nuance that goes behind executing a task like babysitting. So getting them to think more broadly about what experience can look like and how it can be articulated in writing. The second area that I found a lot of need was in the skills section of a resume. Um, so often our scholars uh, are relying on their hard skills, their like computer software skills or their uh, maybe design skills, but to showcase to them the value of soft skills and mentioning soft skills in a resume, maybe a soft skill like patience or teamwork or problem solving skills. Um, so just kind of expanding their worldview uh, about skill development uh, relative to how they were thinking about their skill sets their freshman year. And then the final area where uh, I noticed a, a huge area for growth is the uh, design and professionalism of the resume. Last year, we had to rely so heavily on templates. Um, and so we ended up with 144 resumes that look by and large the same. They look identical. Um, they have the same section headers. A lot of them have the same font or same color because it's what Google templates had. Um, and so this year, I'm really excited to see them take ownership over these documents and make them unique and make them themselves and show a potential mentor or, or a potential employer or a potential college like who they are through design sense and professionalism. And 
what's really great about that getting to the work that we did yesterday was so many instances our scholars started to realize and understand just how much a resume was reflective of who they were personally. Mm. Uh, resumes are, could be incredibly personal. And um, in the PowerPoint slides you put together with the examples um, of just resumes that you pulled from from online, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great way for them to realize how creative and how expressive they could be. And you think about potential employers, um, you, you want something that's going to visually capture your attention. If you got a stack of resumes, how are you going to make your resume stand out? Totally. And become a bit more attractive uh, for, for an employer. So, and that does get us to what we were doing yesterday, uh, both Courtney and I in our humanities courses. Uh, we took some time out to do a resume workshop. Courtney, as always, uh, put together a phenomenal PowerPoint slide deck. I love PowerPoints. It's beautiful. It is a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful thing. And uh, it, it helped us guide instruction towards how to improve these resumes uh, that they put together from their freshman year. Uh, especially now that they've got that year of mentorships under their belt, you, you actually got some tangible material they can add to the experiences uh, section of their resume, as well as skills if they learn something new. Uh, while they were working with their professional, with their with their mentor. So we had a workshop model yesterday. We took some time and, and really hashed out the resumes along those three lines, experience, skills, and style, uh, and gave them the space to really do some exploration. And I, I, I think that you would agree that we had saw some powerful transformation, transformation, totally. excuse me, uh, with the resumes. So many of them asking me, with their original resume Simmons, how do I get rid of this line? I'm like, dude, that's the template. You yeah. can't get rid of it. You know, and, and seeing that light bulb click and seeing so many just start from scratch. Or on Photoshop or InDesign. Right, right. And just copy and paste the text that they had. Totally. And now they're applying it to this brand new document that was much more reflective of, uh, of who they were as a potential mentee. Uh, and so it sounds like you had some similar experience as well yesterday. Definitely. I think some of the most powerful moments for me were watching them rewrite an anonymous scholar's experience section. Uh, so they took a sentence that read, uh, I helped my dad feed the chickens, you know, as experience, which supporting the nurturing and life care of animals is a super valuable experience, especially if you're looking for a job that would require you to be nurturing or attentive in that way. Um, so they took a sentence like that and transformed it into, um, you know, something so much more professional and academic, uh, supported a gardener in maintaining his space and nurturing and caring for animals. And that subtle shift, which sounds still like a 14-year-old, you know, it doesn't sound like it was written by a 35-year-old, is really can go a long way with a mentor and kind of showcasing the exact skill development and to highlight the aspect of that experience that could really be reflective of a mentorship at, say, a VA hospital or at a preschool. Um, so just kind of watching them, as you said, kind of have this light bulb moment of how can I take what I had and transform it into something that really is reflective of who I am now. And another thing that was really powerful for me yesterday was watching scholars 
show their resume to other scholars awesome. uh, to get the feedback and to say, hey, does this make sense or does the design, what would you recommend that I do here? Um, a lot of those kind of conversations happening yesterday, which I think is more a testament to the work that we did as a school last year um, and the emphasis that we put on collaborative work and understanding how to not only um, internalize and work with feedback, but to also give feedback uh, effectively, um, clearly, and uh, and to see that really unfold yesterday in the form of this resume workshop was was pretty awesome. Super special. So thinking ahead, um, we don't got a lot of time in terms of this mentorship program getting up and running. Three weeks. If you compare to last year and all of the work that we did helping our scholars kind of mostly I'd say mentally prepare for the mentorship program. School started in mid to late August. They weren't actually in the field in their mentorships until mid-January. So about three and a half, four months uh, of, of work uh, and opportunity to really get the, the hang of these, uh, these moves, professional moves, um, and all the work on soft skills that we did. We started school two weeks ago, and they're going to be in two and a half weeks uh, or three weeks, something like that. Uh, they're going to be out in the field. The mentorships are starting really, really quick. So uh, they have to rely on the work that they did last year to uh, to get themselves set up. And like I s said earlier, I've got kids that are sending emails. They're making phone calls, reaching out to mentors, uh, potential mentors already, uh, and trying to get that set up. So what are your thoughts, uh, Courtney? I'm curious as to how everything's playing out so far. Do you think they're going to land these mentorships? I think that... They are pursuing mentorships that are really challenging to get because they want to have an ideal experience. And that challenge is going to take a while. And that's okay. You know, our mentorships start in three weeks and I think there will be a handful of scholars that are gonna be going out on that first day uh, with a mentorship, maybe a mentor connection they had last year, a mentor connection they know through a family friend, or maybe they just had a really smooth first phone call or a really smooth first cold email. Um, but I think that they now see the potential of this experience and they want to ensure that they're in a place where they want to be, you know, and that they really feel like they're going to learn and enhance their skill development. And so I anticipate that we're going to have some scholars that maybe aren't starting for, for five or six weeks, but I think that once they do start, it'll be from a really well-informed, really thoughtful and intentional place. And that is super exciting to me. How about you? I'm seeing the same thing and I, I think they're going to, they're going to pull it together pretty well. Um, a lot of, a lot of my scholars are approaching or at least attempting to approach mentorships that they were not confident enough to approach Yes, I'm seeing year. that too. So I have a couple of kids who um, last year identified themselves as um, music lovers. They love listening to music. They love playing music. And, and so that the, the, the number of opportunities for a music-based mentorship are seemingly endless. And I gave a ton of recommendations. I uh, helped them research local music studios, uh, places where that, that music is actually created, um, thinking about music uh, manufacturing. Uh, and if you're, if you're interested on more of the hardware side and what all goes into that, um, even a guitar center, which, you know, we, we try to um, encourage our scholars to stay away from retail. 
Uh, but Guitar Center is this place where it's not just selling instruments, but they do lessons. And there are actual musicians that are in and out of there on a fairly regular basis contributing uh, to that community. So, um, but it was a lot last year. Uh, both of these scholars in question, they just, um, you know, between cold calling people and, and presenting yourself in person, there's a lot of anxiety Times. around that. And now both of them, uh, they, they sent out an email yesterday to uh, to a Long Beach-based uh, music studio. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll check in with them today to see if anyone uh, responded on that end. But they, they've got full confidence uh, and they're helping each other, which is really, uh, really powerful to That's see awesome. also. Um, and then, oh shoot, there was one more thing I was going to bring up with September, but I can't remember what it was exactly. Stall for me. Stalling. Stalling. <laughs> was it about the sustainability complex? Was it about reading no. our book? No, it was about mentorships and going out. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. Talking Job about shadow the... days. No. No. Wow, I feel deflated. I, I blame my illness. I blame yeah. my cold. That's okay. It does take a lot of power. It does take a lot of cell power to fight off an illness. It's, uh, it's clouding up my headspace, man. I can't handle it. Um, I, I mean, I think that talking about the resumes today was uh, great reflection and great learning around that process. Totally. But I don't think we are by any means done talking no, about definitely not. mentorship. So we might do this again, talking about mentorships next week. Yeah, um, part two. Part two, mentorships part two. And, and uh, who knows? Maybe I'll remember what I was thinking I was going to say at the end of this podcast, but... I think I, I just have to let it go. Got to let it go. Yeah. But yeah, I think it will be uh, awesome to think more critically about what happens after a resume and an email gets sent. Yeah. Because today was so much about the preparation. Mm -hmm. um, and that's only one third of this process. <laughs> yes. So I th I'm thinking I know that we're, what we're going to talk about next week. We got to get a guest. We got to get uh, a guest. On the podcast. Maybe we can get, uh, maybe we can get Keith in on this. That'd be awesome. Because he's got, because he's a pretty big player in in this process in so many different ways. But uh, we'll figure it out, and I'll hopefully remember. remember. Oh, feels just like senile right now. It's awful. <laughs> but uh, let's close this out for the Odyssey of Learning podcast. My name is Hunter, I think. And I'm Courtney. I know. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.